So, we're in part three of our Advent series this morning, Echoes of Jesus. Advent is the season around Christmas. If you're wondering what Advent is and what the lighting of the candles are, if any of you are like, well, why would we do that? It's all about celebrating the what of Jesus. The coming of Jesus and the sure hope of his second coming. That's why we celebrate Advent and that's why we light candles and we like to talk about Jesus a lot. And so we're looking at as part of this series, specific stories in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and echo, if you will, with God's plan of salvation for his people. The, the promise that God would send a Messiah to save his people and bring them back into relationship with him. God's heart for all people on this earth. He desires that all people would know him and come to love him and come to follow him. And so what this series is doing is hopefully drawing your hearts beyond just the manger, focusing your hearts on Jesus during the season, directing your eyes to how all of Scripture points to Jesus, capturing your minds with the incredible truth found in Scripture of who Jesus is for us, and increasing your wonder and your joy and your love and your worship for God. Because God, that's what he desires. He desires that you would be full of that this season and increasing in that. And so this morning, we're going to look at a little tiny book uh, in the Old Testament that is squished between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's four chapters long, and it's this wonderful little book called the Book of Ruth, if you haven't heard of it. And uh, you could preach a whole series on Ruth, it's, and, and maybe one day we will. Um, but it is... It's an incredible story that's centered around redemption and serves to remind us of the faithfulness of God and that God has sent us Jesus as our Redeemer. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going we're to look at what that means. Like what does it mean that Jesus is our Redeemer? And we want to look at how the story, the story in Ruth of Ruth and this guy named Boaz points us to the heart of God for all people. And the story of Ruth is really a refugee story, actually. The story of someone who is without a home, someone without a future, who is welcomed into the family of God and who's given a hope and given a future. And so this story in Ruth begins with this lady by the name of Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons. And they leave, it says, the town of Bethlehem. Does anyone know what the meaning of Bethlehem is? Anyone want to give that a shot? Anyone ever heard? What, is the, what does Bethlehem in Hebrew mean? It's so, so significant. Boom. Gold star. House of bread. And they leave Bethlehem, though, get this, because there's a famine in and around that land, in the land of Israel and around Bethlehem. And so they leave, and they settle in this neighboring country called Moab. Moab was the nation that began with the grandson of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And while they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. And his two sons, they take wives from the land of Moab. And then after about 10 years goes by, and then all of a sudden both of the sons die. And so Naomi is left there in this land of Moab in a foreign land with her two daughters-in-law who are Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth. 
And then, by this time, the famine is over in Israel. And so, they, Naomi decides she's going to journey back and go back to her land, back to Bethlehem. And she tells Orpha and she tells Ruth, you don't need to go back with me. You need to stay in your land. You know, probably thinking you need to stay here. You need to get husbands who can care for you. You need to stay with your people. And at first, they're both like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're going with you. And Ruth or Naomi insists. And then, so Orpha says, okay, I'll stay. But it says Ruth clung to Naomi. And she says this. She says, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And, but it says that Naomi came back to Bethlehem, and when she comes back, she says, you can actually call me Mara, which that word means bitter. If you remember the waters of Mara with Moses. She says, because all that I've known is bitterness since I've left. And so she, she regards herself as empty. If you feel like that in life, if you feel bitter, if you feel empty, I just, just wait and see what God does in this story. And then there's Ruth. She, she has a lot going against her coming into this foreign land. She is a widow. She's a Moabite. She is in poverty. She has nothing to cling to except Naomi probably thinks of herself as really, really insignificant. If that's you, I want you to wait and see what God does in this story. Because we also see Ruth as faithful, as obedient, as trusting, as loyal, and as hopeful, actually. And so Naomi and Ruth, they come back to Bethlehem, and they need to survive, they're coming back and they've, they've really, they have nothing. They're coming back without husbands. And so Naomi, she sends Ruth into the grain fields to basically pick up the scraps of what's left behind from those who would go into the grain fields and harvest. In fact, this was a statute that God had given Israel basically as a way for people who were poor to be able to care for themselves and to not, um, to do it in dignity, if you will. And so Ruth goes and she does this. And Ruth 2, 3, chapter 2, verse 3 in Ruth, it is, it's such a significant and profound verse. Ruth had commented to Naomi, she says that she would go, and she says, perhaps I'll find favor in someone's field. And so then it says, verse 3, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now that word there in Hebrew, she happened, is, means she chanced upon chance. And it's really, really significant. We, we, uh, every year we read this great Advent devotional with our kids um, that is done by Anne Voskamp. And uh, we just, it's so good. We love it. Every year we come back and we're like, oh, this is like, this year I've been reading it and I'm like, this is so profound. Um, in her story that she has on Ruth, she, she, the way she writes the little devotional for the kids is she keeps using the term she happened. She just happened to go into the field of Boaz. She just happened to do this and happened. And the point is this. It's picking up on that really small detail here in the text that has profound 
truth for us, given the totality of the story. And the writer is making an intentional point because what may appear as a bunch of coincidences, like this just sort of happened, it just chanced upon chance. No, it was God. It was God was directing the steps of Ruth. It wasn't random chance. It was God's good purposes coming to pass in the life of Ruth. And it's profound because it echoes such profound truth that we need to get, that reverberates for our lives. God is directing your steps. Life is not karma. Life is not chance. Life is not just luck. You have a creator who loves you and is intimately involved in your life. And seeing the world through that lens changes everything. If you know the story of Ruth, if you know it, don't spoil the ending for any of you who don't know. But, but try to, at this point, pretend that you don't know what's going to happen with Ruth. Pretend that she meets this guy Boaz and you have no idea what's going to happen. Because Ruth had no idea what was going to happen. Naomi had no idea what was going to happen. She literally thought, I'm just chancing upon chance. So Boaz is a, is a wealthy, successful guy in the community. Maybe he's the most eligible bachelor at the time in Bethlehem. Don't know. But we, we get a sense later in the story that he's probably a little bit older and he's probably resigned himself to never having a wife. But he is a relative of Naomi's family. And that means that he is a kinsman redeemer for them. And we'll, I'll explain that a little bit. Meaning, he is responsible to safeguard her family. Meaning he's responsible to buy back land if it needs to be bought back. Meaning that he has, he has a responsibility to carry on the family name. Uh, if there's a widow, like Ruth, who's childish, childless, this is what it meant to redeem. Boaz's name also is really interesting. It means, in him is strength. And given what transpires in this story, it's, it's profound and yet so fitting for him. And so, Ruth happened to come to the field of Boaz. And he happens to come to the fields at that point, and he sees her, and he asks her, who is that? And he's told, she's the young Moabite that has come back with Naomi. And, and then the love story that is Ruth and Boaz begins to unfold, which is also a love story between God and his people that is fulfilled in Jesus. The Bible itself is a love story, folks. The Bible is a love story of God drawing people back to himself. The totality of the Bible is about God drawing us in, drawing us back to himself. And this story is such a profound part of that. And so I think what we're meant to see here is that in Boaz, there are glimpses of what we see in the Messiah. 
there's glimpses of what was going to come in the Messiah. There's glimpses in Boaz and in the story here of what God was doing redemptively in his people and what he was going to do redemptively through Jesus. And so it's all about who is Jesus for us? Who is Jesus for you? So if you will kind of put yourself in the position of Ruth and who Boaz was for her, and that's you and who Jesus is for you. So First, we see that Jesus welcomes us. Upon learning who Ruth is, Boaz, he he seeks her out. And he says to her, he says, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz begins by welcoming Ruth into his field very intentionally. This this was an intentional act on his part saying, come, I'm going to provide provision for you. I'm going to make sure that you're safe. No one was to treat her inappropriately and he made sure that was going to be the case. She was welcomed. She was a foreigner. She was a widow. She was in poverty. And Boaz says, come. So Jessica, she has a a great uncle um, and aunt. They're kind of, they're more like her parents' age, so we call them uncle and aunt. Uncle Gary and Aunt Karen, they live by Jessica's parents in BC. And from the moment that I met them, um, probably even, I don't know if we were yet married, but all I remember is they were some of the most welcoming people that I've ever encountered. I remember coming into their house and just it was so apparent how welcoming they were, how hospitable their home was, and how Gary just was interested to hear about my life. And, and genuinely, like every time I see him, I look forward to like, we get to go to their house and we get to fellowship. And they, there's just this fellowship and this welcoming. Like, yeah, I'm so glad to see you. Like, Paul, and what's going on in your life? And, and it's genuine. It's not fake. It's like, I want to know. And there's something about that that does something to us when we encounter that and we're welcomed. They're, they're a joy to be around people like that. And I think we need to see God like that. I think that's exactly how we need to see God the Father. He is over the top welcoming to us. Think even prodigal son. Think about how Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. And think of the father in that story at the end. That's, that's the father. He's he's not distant, he's not reserved, he's not standoffish, and his son is the exact reflection of him. So again, think Jesus. That's the Father. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says, come to me. It's just this welcoming invitation. All you who are late, all you who labor, all you who are weary, he says, I'm going to give you rest. There was this word earlier in the fall. Do you remember what the word was about laying down burdens, taking off the backpack? God wants to give us rest. Jesus says, take 
take my yoke on you. That's a, maybe it's an, a fa- an old-fashioned term, but what he's basically saying is become like him. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And then he says, find rest for your souls. This is exactly where Ruth is at. Life had not been kind to her. Life had been hard. Life had been tough. She needed to find rest. She needed to find peace for her soul. And you know, finding rest for our souls, it's not hanging out with friends. That's fun. It's good. But that's not where we're going to ultimately find rest. It's not having a guy's night. It's not having a girl's night. It's not vegging on the couch with Netflix. It's not surfing Amazon or anything else on the web. It's not having a quiet evening between you and your phone. Those are all things that maybe people think, well, I'm going to find rest there, and, and we don't. Rest is found in the quiet place with Jesus. To quiet ourselves, examine our hearts, hear Jesus. It, it really is about silence and solitude and allowing ourselves to just go there. What is happening in my heart? We sang this morning that, uh, that verse, our hearts as busy as Bethlehem. And we sang it. The answer is to allow Jesus to prepare him room and allow him to come in. That's rest. There's, a, there's another little echo in this initial encounter of Ruth and Boaz that, that points us to Jesus. It's so incredible. In welcoming her, Boaz offers Ruth provision. He, he, first he offers her food, the grain, but he also actually invites her to dinner then, yet later on. He says, come and eat. But he says there then, when you are thirsty... Bethlehem, we already know, was the house of bread. Jesus is the fulfillment of that meaning. Jesus said, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Where did Jesus come from? He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And then he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's interesting, Jesus, he said that during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. When he stood up there in John and he gives this proclamation, whoever, whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. The Feast of Tabernacles is the last Jewish festival on the Jewish calendar. And Jesus stood up on the last day, the final day of that feast. For seven days, the Jews had been bringing water from the pool of Siloam in a golden pitcher and they would come and they would pour it on the altar and they did that because they were reminding themselves for seven days how God provided water for them in the wilderness, how God was their ultimate provision. But on the eighth day, they didn't do anything. They didn't draw any water. They simply went without water to remind themselves of how God provided water for them. It's on that day that Jesus stood up That day, and this is the last feast on the last day of the last feast, he was about to go to the cross. So this was the time where he was about to address some people for the very last time. 
There was a host of people there who would never hear from Jesus again. And he says, if any of you are thirsty, if you're thirsty, come to me. Drink. And then he says this. He says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And it says there that he spoke that of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. He's speaking of the living Holy Spirit inside of us, nourishing, refreshing. There's no need to thirst. That's a welcome. That is a welcome. Second, Jesus protects us. So after welcoming Ruth, Boaz, he actually, he praises her. He says, what you did for your mother-in-law, what you've done in leaving your home and coming here, I, I've heard what you did. He says this then, he says, and he pronounces a blessing over her. He says, the Lord repay you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This, this picture of, of being under the wings of God. It's a profound picture in scripture. It speaks to protection. It speaks to shelter. It speaks of being covered and being under them. And it's spoken of several places in the Psalms. And Jesus himself actually uses this image in the Gospels. Psalm 36, 57, and 63 all they all refer to taking refuge under the wings of God. All three actually speak to, if you will, a different aspect of this protection that God offers us. Psalm 36 speaks of experiencing the steadfast love of God underneath the wings. Psalm 57 speaks of receiving mercy as our soul actually takes refuge. So it's, it's this thing of rest and peace under the wings of God. Psalm 63 speaks of receiving help. And it's, it speaks of that I, singing for joy, that there's, there's joy and protection, if you will, under the wings of God. There's actually joy to be had. So, last, uh, this last summer, Samuel and I, we, we went out to Birds Hill for a day to bike together. And a uh, wonderful day, and we're biking along, and, and ended up chatting a bunch. And so as we're biking, we're just chatting back and forth, and, and all of a sudden, I hear a sound behind me, and I'm like, oh. And, I, and I, I instantly look around, and Samuel has just bit the pavement hard. And, and I missed seeing him actually hit, but it was like, oh, this is bad. In fact, my immediate thought was, okay, he's probably got at least one broken bone. And uh, he hit the edge of the pavement, and it's, a, and it's a sharp edge there in Birds Hill Park. And his tire just hit it while we were talking, and immediately his handlebars just flipped in an instant, and he went over. And, uh, and he was scraped all over and, and bleeding a ton, and, and even sort of going a little bit into some shock. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm there with him, down with him, and, and uh, thinking, okay, like what are we going to do now? <laughs> like we're a ways from our, our van and, 
and he was, he was hurt pretty bad. And thankfully, there was no broken bones. I, and, I, and so, but I said to Sam, I said, I, I think I'm going to have to get on my bike and ride back, and I'll go, I'll go get the van and come back for you. And you can just stay here on the shoulder. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he was not doing that. And I thought, oh, okay, well, and I, so we were just kind of like back and forth. What, what are we going to do? And uh, I, actually, I don't remember. I may have prayed. I'm not sure if I did. But all of a sudden, a truck pulls up. And, uh, and this older couple are in a, in a big truck. And they said, hey, can we, can we uh, drive you somewhere? And I was like, yes. And so they, they loaded our bikes into the back of their truck. And, and we got in their cabin. Actually, we had a really cool visit along the way. He, he knew some people in business that I had been connected to. And so it was just a really neat little encounter. But, you know, I, I took from that, in that moment, that was the goodness of God. Because I did not know what I was going to do. And Samuel really needed to see the goodness of God in that moment. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus, he's, he's close to his death. And it says that he stands and he comes before Jerusalem. And Luke actually says that he weeps over Jerusalem. And, and Matthew quotes him his saying, he says, how often I wanted to gather you as children as a mother bird gathers her young underneath her wings. That's always been God's heart for his people. It's, it's a powerful, powerful picture of God's care for his people. Jesus says, I, I always wanted to do this. And then he says, but you weren't willing. Jesus is willing. He's inviting us into his protection and his care. Are you willing to receive it? But Jesus, he, he doesn't stop there. He welcomes us. He offers to protect us. But most importantly, most importantly, he seeks to save us. And so that's the third point, that Jesus redeems us. I wonder if Boaz had an inkling when he first met Ruth that this is a girl that I'm going to end up marrying. We don't, we don't know, obviously, from the text. But, you know, I wonder if he had an inkling, like, I'm, I'm going to be the one that's going to provide refuge to her. When he, when he said that to her, about, like, you know, I want you know, find refuge under God, I wonder if he knew, like, he was going to be the physical manifestation of that. We don't, we don't know, but we know that Boaz, he did welcome her into his care and into his protection immediately. Ruth went back and, and she told Naomi what had happened and how she had met this Boaz. And after a little while, Naomi seems to hatch a plan to see if maybe Boaz will be the one to take care of Ruth and take her as his wife, or take her as his wife. And so Ruth 2.20 um, it, we read there that Naomi shares with Ruth that Boaz is one of their redeemers. And I, you know what? Ruth may not even have, have been aware of that. Like being a Moabite, she may have been like, what are you talking about? And, and so she's, he's, like, he's the one that can actually care for you. He can take you as his wife. And so Boaz was, was one of these people. There were several of them who could have been possibly redeemers to care for Ruth and Naomi. 
Boaz was, was part of that. And so Ruth approaches Boaz as, as Naomi instructed her. And she says, go to Boaz after dinner, late at night, while he's laying down to sleep, and go and uncover his feet. And he'll tell you what to do at that point. Now, I think we read that and we go, like, is she being a little provocative? Like, is she being just a little bit inappropriate, maybe? No, so she's not, if we're wondering. That what she was doing culturally was a total act of submission, complete act of submission. It was, I am your servant. I am humbling myself before you. I'm trusting in your goodness as a possible redeemer. And this is how we come to Jesus. See the picture? This, this is how we come. I trust you. I put my life in your hands. And so Ruth asks Boaz to take her as his wife. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So, okay, so culturally we might have a hard time sort of wrapping our minds around what's, ha what's happening here because it's just so foreign to anything in our culture. Um, but what, what we're meant to see here is Ruth's desperation on one hand, and on the other hand, Boaz's response to her basically being, may you be blessed. Yes, I am willing to redeem you. That, that's basically the, the Cole's notes of the story. It's, it's actually, it's, it's profound because it's this very situation, like this very situation that we read of in Ezekiel 16, verses 8 and onwards. There's this profound prophetic picture that Ezekiel speaks of God and his people. And God shares his heart there through Ezekiel for his people and the promise to be their redeemer. And God says, I have made a vow with you. I, like, I've covered you. I've, I've made a vow with you. I have entered into covenant with you. You have become mine. It's profound. Now understand that if you read through Ezekiel, when Ezekiel is prophesying this, when God is promising this, Israel is a wicked and sinful people. They, they are constantly looking to idols, constantly disobeying God, constantly looking to other things. They were, they were as unfaithful a people as they come. And God, God says, and this, and this is interesting, this is the farthest thing from what Ruth was. Ruth was, wasn't that at all. But God says to his people, he comes to them and he says, yet all of that, Despite all of that, I'm going to cover you. I'm redeeming you. And, and the manner in which he redeems us is by sending his very own son into the world as this beautiful baby boy who would grow up to suffer and to die, like we read in Isaiah this morning, so that we could be united in relationship with God. So to redeem, that word means to, to purchase or to ransom. So we read from Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 this morning as part of Advent. Just before that, Isaiah 51, it promises that the ransomed of the Lord shall return. It's speaking about how God is going to bring his people back to him. 
He says, I'm going to bring back those. They're going to be ransomed. They're going to return. It's interesting. Upon the birth of John the Baptist, Zechariah, his dad, the first thing he says when God opens his mouth and he prophesies over what is to come, and he says this, the Lord has visited and redeemed his people. And then before he went to the cross, Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. First Timothy 2.6, New Testament says, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. And it speaks there in Timothy just before that of how he is the mediator between God and man. He's the one to bridge the gap. He is the one that has made relationship with God possible. And then in Revelation 5.9, there's this incredible declaration there that God has, or that Christ has ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, and every nation. And that's, that's the promise. So, are you seeing the thread woven throughout Scripture in all of this? God is promising to redeem his people. God promised it. Zechariah prophesied it. Jesus confirmed it. And the church declares it. Amen? We declare that God has ransomed people. Jesus is our redeemer. He really is the redeeming one for all mankind. But like Ruth, we have a, the choice whether we approach God to receive this offer of redemption. Will we make that choice? And we were meant to hear the heart of God in the story of Ruth. If, if you don't know the ending of the story, so Boaz chose to redeem Ruth, took her as his wife. We'll get into all the details of the book. You can read it if you want. But it's such a wonderful, wonderful story of redemption. He takes her as his wife, and the book of Ruth ends with the genealogy. But it's so profound because the genealogy is highlighting the faithfulness of God. What does the New Testament open up with? Book of Matthew opens up with a genealogy. Why? Because it's looking and it's showing us this is the faithfulness of God. So the book of Ruth ends and it says that Ruth gave birth to Obed. Obed gave birth to, anyone know? Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, King David. Ruth, a Moabite widow, a foreigner, poverty-stricken, is the great-great-grandmother of King David. And King David is the line from which Jesus of Nazareth came from in the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread. It says in the New Testament that we have received redemption through Jesus' sacrifice. 
It says there in, in Ephesians, it says, the riches of his grace have been poured upon us. That God has like lavished us, like just lavished us, just keeps pouring out his grace upon you. Do you know that kind of grace from the Father? It says that God has delivered us and that he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. Into the kingdom of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. And so the question for us this morning is really simple and yet it's life-changing implications. Will you choose Jesus? Will you seek his redemption for your life? He's willing. Are we? Are you? So we're going we're gonna to end here in worship in a moment. But I want to provide an opportunity today, this morning for us, to receive Jesus this morning. That you actually take him as your redeemer. You take him as your savior. And you take him as Lord of your life. You surrender your life to him. The gospel is this. It's very simple. God created you to have relationship with him. But our sin and our brokenness, it separated us from God. God made a way for you to have restoration through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, he rose from the grave, defeated the power of death, He's ascended to heaven where he is right now. He's living and ruling and reigning right now until he comes back for those, it says, who are eagerly waiting for his return. And so the invitation today is to receive Jesus, to invite him into your life and to surrender your life to follow his way. So let's... uh, Let's bow our heads, all of us, and let's, uh, maybe you're saying, and at times, I know in the past I said this in my life, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to do that. I, I actually don't know that I can do that. I, I don't know, like, what do you mean surrender my life to God? When, when we surrender our lives to God, God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He dwells inside of us. His Holy Spirit says dwells inside of us. It, his presence actually comes to live in us. We have God with us. He fills us with his power and with his presence to help us. So when I say, I don't know if I can do that, Jesus says, I'm sending you my spirit. So let's, as we have our heads bowed, let's, let's pray. And I want to invite you, if you say, I need to receive Jesus, I want to receive this Jesus, then pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our redeemer, that you are the one who came to redeem us. You came and you said, I am willing I want to redeem you. You chose us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the savior of the world, that you are the one through which we have eternal peace, eternal joy.
and eternal salvation. Jesus, we ask that you would forgive us our sins. Jesus, where we mess up, where we walk in brokenness, where we allow things inside of us to control us, Jesus, we repent. Jesus, we ask that you would take our sin and our brokenness, and we thank you that your word promises that you, when we repent and confess our sins, that you forgive us and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Jesus, we receive your cleansing this morning, and we say, come and be the Lord, the Savior, the center of my life. We surrender to your way. We welcome you, Jesus. And we thank you that we have eternal hope through you and that you give us your Holy Spirit to help us live and walk according to your way. Jesus, we receive you this morning. 